Thank you for that introduction, Brother McCall. And I feel the same way about uh, Brother McCall and his family. Talked to uh, his wife and his sons a few times at uh, camp meeting and talked more with Brother McCall. We, um, we became friends through the ministry, but we're not just friends because of the ministry. Amen. And we will uh, we'll talk <clears throat> and text all the time. Matter of fact, there was just a few weeks ago that, uh, am I getting too close to the, as long as it's, as long as it's not me, because normally I don't squeak like that, I've, I'm 46, I hope that I've went through all of those cha- changes in life, but, <clears throat> but Brother McCall and I, we, you know, we, we talk and, and text, go ahead and be seated, I, I may, my introduction may be a little uh, longer than normal, but with, when you're with friends, you know, when you go preach out places, sometimes uh, you're uncomfortable and nervous, but here it just feels like family. So, uh, you know, Brother McCall and I, we talk, we text, and again, it, we became friends through the ministry, but we're not friends just because of the ministry. And j- just a few weeks ago, uh, we must have had three different text conversations going on, and we were involved in all three of them. So we get in this text, this group text, uh, and there's two other guys in it, and they're texting us, and we're texting, and on the backside, Brother McCall and I are texting each other on a separate conversation, and so it's like juggling. You know, we got... I can juggle two balls, I'm sure. You throw that third one in, I'm not sure how, how good I am. And so the next thing I know, we, we both get this text. There's a, another person that's texting both of us, so it's a three-way text. I'm like, oh, here we go, we're juggling, but we're keeping up. And Matter of fact, in the first conversation between the four of us in this group text, uh, something came up about my associate pastor, Larry Jimnich. And then the next thing you know, who is it that chimes in in the, the third group text? Larry Jimnich. And so I even put on there, I said, should we tell Brother Jimnich that we've been talking about him in another text? And so it was all good because I, I love uh, Brother Jimnich. He is, he is my mentor and, and one of my best friends. And I certainly appreciate Brother McCall and all that he does for the kingdom of God. Uh, as he mentioned, we, we were fellow students at Urshan Graduate School of Theology. He had the jump on me and went ahead and graduated. And I know I don't have to tell you all the wonderful things about your pastor, but I would certainly be remiss if I didn't tell you this one thing and brag on him just a little bit. Because you know him better than I do, that he's the kind of person, he doesn't need the recognition, he doesn't need the pats on the back, but uh, I want you to know that he is highly respected as an academic and a theologian, not only in the Arkansas district, but in oneness Pentecostal ranks altogether. And so just this semester, I'm currently in systematic theology class with Dr. David Norris. And Dr. Norris is starting one of the classes, and he's talking about how even among the oneness ranks, we will approach a scripture just a little bit differently. And he says, take for example, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. And if you know who David Norris is, he's just got a way of quoting scripture. He doesn't read scripture. He, he's read scripture from you know, the time he could read up until now. So he, he knows it and he could, he could be quoting scripture and and he, he's real humble the way he talks. He's like, well, in the King James, it says this and, but I believe in the message. And, and you're like trying to get on the blue letter app on your, your uh, Bible app. That's exactly what it says in this tremie. So he knows all of them, but he, he's like, you know, for example, in, in Philippians two, five through seven, and he's like, let this mind be in you, which is also in 
oppressed Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and made in the likeness of men. And when Brother Norris quotes Scripture, just that, just that relaxing and just that, that meek sound of his voice, it's just got a power behind it, though. And so he goes on to say, he said, now, um, people like himself, David Norris, and David Bernard, and Daniel Seagraves have all written on this Philippians pericope. And I get points for using the word pericope in a sermon, by the way. I'm keeping tabs on that. <clears throat> so Norris, Bernard, and Seagraves have all written on Philippians 2. Three widely respected scholars and academics, not just in the United Pentecostal churches, but in oneness ranks altogether. And Dr. Norris went on to say, he said, but we have a graduate student here who wrote his master's thesis on Philippians 2, and it's better than anything the three of us put together have ever written. And when I'm watching that video and I heard that, I was like, dude, I know who that is he's talking about. He's talking about Tony McCall. So your pastor is, is highly respected uh, in the Pentecostal ranks. And so this morning, uh, I, I feel obligated to let you know right off the bat, I, I'm known for being a very long-winded Bible teacher. Luckily for you, this is not Bible teaching. This is not Purpose Institute. So if this was Purpose Institute, I would tell you to uh, buckle your seatbelt because you're in for two hours with the Bible teaching. But on the flip side of that, I'm known as a very short-winded Bible preacher, which is very good for today because I realized this morning what your pastor did to me. You know what today is, right? It's the Sunday after the ending of daylight saving time. So although the clock says that it is 1040, all of our bodies are telling us that it's 1140, and it's about 20 minutes from lunchtime. So we're going to try to uh, go through this and not rush the spirit, but certainly not uh, linger where we don't need to linger. And so this morning, I'm going to take the premise of my sermon from four different passages of Scripture. And don't worry, I'm not teaching exegetically or contextually from all four of these passages. I'm just going to pull a word or a phrase from each of these passages. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 4 Verse 35, that doesn't happen everywhere you go. I know why you all stood. That's awesome. But that doesn't happen everywhere you go anymore. Deuteronomy 4, 35, and I'll try to take time for you to flip, but they're going to be in order of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 4, 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Everybody say, there is none else, is none else. Beside, beside the Lord. Psalm 23 and 2. Psalm 23, 2 says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters so everybody say together he leads me beside isaiah 32 
and 20. Isaiah 32 and 20. Blessed are you that sow beside all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. So say with me together, blessed are you you that sow sow beside. And finally, Hosea 13 and 4. See how I did that? I kept them all in order. I didn't make you flip from Deuteronomy to Hosea and back to Psalms and then into Isaiah. So we're just kind of flowing through the Old Testament. Hosea 13 and 4 says, Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Everybody say together, There is no Savior beside me. The Lord. Close your Bibles. Let's lift our hands and our voices together to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, God, to study your word, God, to preach what you laid on my heart for today, God. God, I ask you, Lord, to help me to minister to someone, to speak into their heart this morning, Jesus. Help us to receive your word with gladness. Help us to hide it in our heart, God. God, I ask you, Lord, to move in a mighty way, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So all four of these passages that I'm using for the basis of my message have one common word or phrase. Did you pick up what that one common word or phrase was? That's right. You're good. You're listening. B-side. And so this morning I want to preach to you from this thought. B-side and rare hits. B-sides and rare hits. So how many of you like music? If you like music, raise your hand. All right, there's hands going up all across the area, all across the sanctuary. That's to be expected in a Pentecostal church because there is a close association between the Pentecostal experience of the Holy Ghost and Pentecostal worship and music. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, not to get all technical grammar, greeky, geeky on you, the ing's of speaking, singing, and making melody in Ephesians 5.19 are called participles of means, and they modify being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. So what that means is that a direct expression of receiving the Spirit is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's why Pentecostal worship goes hand in hand with the Pentecostal experience of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And by natural extension, Pentecostal people are known as great lovers of music. So the next question is, how many of you listen to music throughout the day outside of the church? Maybe during other activities, whether you are driving in your vehicle while you're exercising, 
doing some yard work, whatever it is. How many of you like to listen to music, any other activities? All right. I almost said, nah, Carlos. <laughs> I've been listening to Dr. Brickle too much. Good, good, yes, good. <clears throat> so the, the technology for listening to music has changed drastically over the years. Today, people listen to music over satellite radio stations, smartphone apps such as iTunes, Spotify, or they simply have it saved in a digital format such as an MP3 or an MP4. Moving backwards from today's technology and day and age of smartphones, uh, we had to burn music on CDs. How many of you remember the days of burning music on CDs? And you had the, 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 the Walkman CD player. And you had to get the Walkman CD player with the anti-skip. Otherwise, while you're out there working or whatever you're doing, that I think they made them specifically for joggers. And as you can tell by looking, I'm not much into jogging. But I would work out in the yard. So if you didn't get the one that had the anti-skip, it would just be you know, coming back to the same song over and over again. Or you even had your, in your automobile, you had your five-disc CD changer on your sun visor. Now, some of y'all, I don't know if you're old enough to remember any of this. He's like, what are you talking about? I think I saw that on Wikipedia somewhere. So you flip the sun visor down and you'd, have, you'd slide all your discs in or you'd have that big booklet full of all your CDs. But before all that, music and sound was magnetically transferred to tape reels, such as cassette tapes or even the short-lived 8-track tapes. And those of us that remember that, we are certainly showing our age. But going even further than that, for the longest time, the standard technology for recording music was to use a machine that etched the sounds into a vinyl disc this is not a frisbee into a vinyl disc and you played this on a machine commonly known as a record player i got some yeses all right people know what i'm talking about this is there's music on here he knows <laughs> by the 1950s it became the standard for radio stations to play recorded music from vinyl records. Music companies would send radio stations these small vinyl records commonly referred to as singles because on each side there's a single song. Two sides, two songs on one vinyl record. And to ensure that the radio stations played the song that the music company felt was going to be the hit the chart topper, they would label the side of the record that contained the hit, the A side. And then on the other side of the record, they would put a lesser known song or maybe even just an instrumental. And they did not want the record company or the radio station to play this side. And this side became commonly known as the B-side. Rarely a B-side of a single would become more popular than the A-side. And as I'm flipping this thing around, I have no idea which is the A-side and the B-side. It's just for illustration. Let me look now that I'm doing that so we can get on the same page. Oh, yep, B-side and A. This is the B-side. That's the B-side. That's the A-side. 
rarely would a B-side of a single would become more popular than the A-side. It happened, but it was a rare occasion. Two of the most popular B-side songs that became more popular than the A-sides are a song called Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and his Comets, and then a song entitled Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. So that's good because I've got in my notes for people not to pretend like you don't know what either one of those songs are. I heard Brother Joe Strand say one time, you may be holy, but you ain't that holy. So whether voluntarily or involuntarily, these songs became so popular that when I said rock around the clock, some of you instantly in the back of your head heard one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock. But doom, just keeping Or when I said ice, ice, baby, you heard that little ditty at the beginning of it. And then you started hearing ice, ice, baby, too cold, too cold, but ice, ice. And see, now I can write that off my bucket list that I've wrapped behind the pulpit. But most often, the B-side was not the hit. The B-side was not the song that people bought the record for. The B-side was not the song that people wanted to hear. And people became so acquainted with the A-side that they felt that the music that the artist put out Every song that they put out had to be a hit because they were not familiar with the B-side. Nevertheless, the artist who composed the A-side is the same artist who composed the B-side. We might even say that without the B-side, there could not be an A-side. And so it is with our walk with God. We often associate God so much with the A-side that we associate God with the blessings. We associate God with the victories and the high points of our spiritual journey that we forget that the divine artist who composed this A-side is the same divine artist who composes the B-side. So no matter whether God leads you a-side or God leads you B-side, God is still the author and anything God authors is his will. You see, we often look at a situation and we label the scenario. We say, oh, well, these people must be in the will of God because they're on the A-side. And then we look at other people and we say, oh, they're not in God's will because they're going through the B-side. You take, for example, the story of Elijah and the widow woman in Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. At the beginning of the chapter, Elijah proclaims that there's going to be a drought to the extent that there would be no dew or rain would come. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's the A-side. Yeah. We like that kind of story. A prophet that can just say it and it happens. No rain, no dew. That's on the A side. That's the victory. We love that. Elijah, he must be in the will of God to be able to proclaim something like that, right? Yeah, sure he is. Then God told Elijah to go dwell 
at the brook Cherith, and he would send ravens and bring food every morning and every evening. That's powerful right there. God's feeding the man of God every morning, every evening with ravens, putting him next to a brook so he's got water. He must be living on the A side. That's the victory. We like to hear those kind of stories. But what happened? The brook dried up because of the drought that Elijah proclaimed. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to Zarephath and dwell there because I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. And of course, those of us who are familiar with the story, we know how it ends. Elijah comes into Zarephath and he finds a widow woman gathering sticks. And he says to the widow woman, make a morsel of bread. And notice this. This is going to be a revelation to some of y'all. He tells the woman, go make me a morsel of bread because the Lord has told him, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a woman there to feed you. So Elijah finds the woman and he says to her, go bring me a morsel of bread. But she says to Elijah, I don't have any cake. All I have is a handful of meal and a little oil in a cruise. I'm going to go make some food for me and my son so that we may eat and die. Now get this. The widow woman did not look at Elijah and say, Oh, you must be the man of God that that your Lord told me about that I was going to feed and God was going to sustain us with food. No, he must not have told that to her at all. So from the context of her response, she apparently didn't know anything about the fact that she was supposed to be providing food to Elijah. So when God said that he commanded a widow woman to feed Elijah, it doesn't mean that he verbally spoke to her and said now here in a few days there's going to be a man of God coming in here and he's not very popular because he commanded this drought but you're going to feed him and I'm going to miraculously provide for you and provide for him and as long as you keep feeding him the meal's never going to run out and the oil's never going to run God didn't say that to her that or, to her at all otherwise when he said go get me a morsel of bread she would have said right on it So when God said, I commanded a woman, he simply meant that he ordained that it was going to happen. Not that she knew that it was going to happen. She didn't know that at all. All she knew was that she was living on the B side. All she knew was that she had enough food for one last meal for her and her son. And then all of a sudden, this prophet of the Lord shows up asking for food. Now, we might look back at Elijah and what he accomplished with the commanding the rain to cease and the fact that God had miraculously fed him using the ravens and say, oh, Elijah, he was walking in the will of God. He was walking on the A side. That was one of God's greatest hits. But guess what? It was Elijah that didn't have any food. Then we want to look at this poor widow woman. No husband. No money. She wasn't even in covenant. She wasn't even one of the covenant people of the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. 
Zarephath was a pagan community. And then notice what the widow woman said when the prophet asked her for food. This is 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12. She said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. You see what she did there? As the Lord thy God liveth, I don't have a cake. You let something bad happen in your family or a situation, especially if you're a parent. Those of you that are parents, you, I know you've heard something like this before. You'll come home from work and you may hear this. Do you know what your child did today? Let me tell you what your son did at school today. And then we respond to things like, oh, now he's my kid. When he does something good, he's your kid. Let me tell you about my son. It's always when it's on the A side, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but when it's on the B side, it's your, your child. Yeah. So she was throwing this back on Elijah. She was like, uh, excuse me? Huh. Uh, no, 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 no. You're not asking me for food because as the Lord, your God lives, I don't have any food except for what I'm about to cook and for what my son and I are going to eat, and then we're just going to die. So no husband, no money, no covenant, and we typically look at her and think, oh, see, she must be living out of the will of God because everything she's going through. But we need to get this through our thick skulls that just because she was on the B side doesn't mean that she was out of God's will because it was God who ordained her in that situation to make provisions for the prophet that much more miraculous. It was God, Psalm 23 and 2, who led her B side. And it was in that B-side that she was able to sow her faith in the words of the prophet to feed her. Isaiah 32, 20, blessed are you that sow B-side. And because without the B-side of her widowhood, without the B-side of her poverty, without the B-side of her handful of meal, there never would have been a miraculous provision of the A-side. Oh, the miraculous provision of God Here's where Paul Harvey would tell you the rest of the story. Because after that, her son died. And she said, whoa, what am I doing here? Did, did you come here, prophet, to kill my son? And the prophet went in and prayed, and he revived her son and brought her back to life. If, he, if there had never been a B-side... That had never been an A-side of that miraculous resurrection of her son. There never would have been a miraculous reviving of her son from the dead. Because he's not just Lord of the victory. He's not just Lord of the A-side. But Deuteronomy 4.35 says there's none else beside the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of your B-side. And so like the disciples who asked Jesus concerning the blind man, who sinned? The man or his parents? And Jesus said, none. This was done so that God could be glorified. We often get the widow woman all convoluted because we look at Elijah as the prophet that was in the will of God and 
the widow woman as being all kind of non-circumstantial. But when you think about this, when the two met for the first time, who had food and who didn't? It wasn't a widow woman asking for food. It was Elijah. It was the guy that we would say was on the A side. At least the widow woman had enough food to feed her family for just that night, and Elijah had nothing. So which one of them was in the will of God? Both of them. Which one of them had put their faith in the Lord? Both of them. Because I promise you this, if the widow woman had not fed the prophet and done exactly like the prophet told her to do, she would have done what she told the prophet. She would have went and made that one last morsel and she and her son would have ate and they would have died of starvation. Yet she had faith every day, every day that she fed that prophet. She had faith that there was going to be grain and oil enough to prepare just another meal. And again, I promise you that if she had ever said, nope, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do it tonight. That next morning, there wouldn't have been enough to sustain them for the next day. Because although she was living on the B side, God was the same author of that A side. You say, Brother Weatherly, are you preaching a salvation by works? No, I'm not preaching a salvation by works at all. But I am preaching that faith without works is dead. Actually, I borrowed that from James 2.20, but y'all get the point. So understand this. Which one of them was living on the B side of the record? Both of them. This was not just the widow's story. This was both of their stories. It was a duet. It was Captain and Tennille. It was Sonny and Cher. It was Kenny and Dolly. Pick your favorite duet couple, whoever it is. But it was the same artist that was composing the song. And if you're going through a trial, I want to speak to you to keep your chin up. And to know that you may be on the B side, but you're still in God's will. And your A side, your chart topper, your hit single is coming. Because the God who composed you on the B side, the God that leads you to the B side is going to lead you to the A side. And so I'm going to get just a little bit personal here about something. Because you want to know when I came to this realization about the B-side and these rare hits. It was when I was walking in my own B-side. And it wasn't as severe as the drought in 1 Kings chapter 17. But several years ago, my family went through our own drought. We went through our own financial B-side due to a crash in the economy. And I think a lot of us felt those effects. Crash of the housing market. I worked in the construction industry, and it was just uh, two days after Christmas. I was an outside salesman for a lumber company making good money. Good job, good money by Arkansas standards. Wife had a good job making good money by Arkansas standards. Housing market crashed. Two days after Christmas, I can't get a hold of my manager. I see lumber going out to jobs that I had bid. My name wasn't on those sales invoices. I knew something was up. I got that phone call about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Weatherly, I need to see you in the office. I called my wife. I said, Nicole, this is it. I'm fixing to get laid off. 
She said, whatever it is, it's God's will. I walked in. First words out of his mouth. Jason, I need your keys and your phone. I drove a company truck. I had a company phone. I, need your, I mean, it's just as, just as nonchalant as could be. Well, I need your keys and your phone. I said, for what? Well, your sales are down. I said, everybody's sales are down. He said, well, I mean, don't take it personal. I said, well, you'll excuse me if I take it personal. I got a family I'm trying to feed. But I tell you what, if you can live without it, I can live with it. Or, excuse me, if you can live with it, I can live without it. And so, without any warning, there I was without a job. During an economic low, when there were no good jobs hiring, thank God my wife still had her job. But some of y'all might be prophets and see where this B-side is about to head. So for the next few years, we got by. I found mediocre employment. The bills were still being paid. There was food on the table. We were still living for God. And then guess what happened? You look like you've heard this story before. That's right. My wife got laid off from her job. A job that she had dedicated over a decade of her life without warning. There we were. She found other employment, but again, it wasn't like it was. The economy was bad. Times were tough. We still had kids at the house. But listen to me, though. Through those times, the bills were still getting paid. We still had our home. We were still paying our utilities. We were still giving in our tithes and offerings, and that's an entirely different message for a different time, but we did not lose our faith in God. But I'm here to tell you, there were times that after everything was paid, we stood at the cupboard. We got a big four-foot-wide double-door cupboard in our kitchen. There were times we stood at our cupboard, and we said, all right, well, we're going to make that spaghetti for dinner tonight on Sunday. And then um, if we take those beans right there and we mix them together, I think we got some diced tomatoes. We probably got some chili powder. We can make some, some chili there. Uh, but after that, we're just going to have to trust in the Lord on how we're going to feed our family the rest of this week. Yeah. Yeah. And we had just decided yeah. that we were going to trust God. We weren't losing faith in God. Right. And as we shut the doors to our cupboards, my, phone, my wife's phone rings. The voice on the other side of that phone said, Hey, send your kids out to your driveway. I got some bags for you. Send the kids out to the driveway. Coming in with bags and bags of groceries. Two weeks. Two weeks worth of groceries. And I'm not telling you that only happened once. I'm not telling you that only happened twice. I can't tell you it only happened three times, but at least four or five times we'd have people call us up and say, hey, I'm going to Sam's. What are you doing this afternoon? I'm taking you to Sam's to buy you some groceries. Hey, why don't you come by here? I've got a truckload of groceries for you. But it wasn't until being through that situation that someone said to me while we were in our B-side, someone said to me through all of that, still being faithful to God, 
God providing for us. And then someone said to me, well, we're just praying that you and your wife find God's will. I said, what? I didn't know his will was lost. What do you mean find God's will? We didn't lose our jobs because we were out of God's will. It wasn't like God's will is some merry-go-round that we were on and the next thing you know, we got thrown off the merry-go-round and we're just standing there looking at God's will. If you're old enough to remember merry-go-rounds, I don't think they have them anymore because by OSHA standards, they were death traps. But it wasn't like we got thrown off the merry-go-round of God's will and here's my wife and I just blindly looking. Oh, I'm going to jump now. No, if I jump now, I'm going to knock myself out. No, we were still in God's will because even in our B-side, we were in God's will because it was God who led us B-side. And it was on the B-side of our trial that we continue to sow our faith in the B-side. And it's at times when it seems like we're all alone in our trials and there is no one else B-side the Lord with us because Jesus is the artist of the B-sides and rare hits and of course just like that vinyl record every B-side has its A-side and looking back you know what what we experienced on the B-side it has shaped us into who we are today on our A-side can we all stand together as we come as we stand together I just want to ask everyone to come forward whether this is you're a member of this church or you're just visiting, please join us up front, everybody, and help create an atmosphere of prayer and worship because whether or not, whether or not the, the Lord is currently leading you to the B-side, then, then probably your neighbor is. And let's all just fill up this front. Let's all join in together and pray for one another as they play. And let's encourage one another that even on the B-side, we are blessed of the Lord. God bless you this morning as we pray together.